Um, so in the game, you have like a million sliders. You know, you can you can adjust to make the character look like you want, or like most of the YouTubers do, make the character look like some kind of alien. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Moonlight Game Devs. Today I had a chat with Tim Fitzrandolph on his latest game, Pro Gymnast, which he started solo developing after spending several years working at Disney as a lead mobile games designer. What's up, Timothy? Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. We're creating a game called Pro Gymnast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about that game. How about we you just start by telling a bit, us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got here and went on this journey of creating your own game. Sure. Uh, yeah. So my name is Tim. Um, I, online, I go by the name Wallaber. So you might see that around on any kind of on Twitter, on you know Twitch, wherever I might be. We'll leave a link in the description. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make sure you click the link down below. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've been making games for a really long time. Um, I uh, I'm 40 right now, and I started making games in high school. I've always liked. Uh, creative things and I've always liked technical things too um, and so I've really once I discovered game making I really latched onto it and uh, because it's this great mixture of creativity where you kind of have to you know have an interesting idea yeah. and come up with something you know original um, but then you have this really challenging and interesting technical component like this engineering part right of like how do you actually make that idea into something tangible and I'm um, I'm the youngest of two siblings. I have an older brother and sister. My older brother, uh, I would always play Legos with, and we would make contraptions. And he was very um, like a mechanical engineer type person. And so I got that from him. And my sister, well, my older sister, was always singing and writing and dancing and performing. And so <laughs> somehow I think I turned out like an exact hybrid of those two. Um, Plus, I was born a little bit later, and so computers were, like home computers, we had one in our house when I was young, where they were already like well into high school before we had a home computer. So combination of all those things led to me really, really getting interested in using computers to make creative and technical things. Um, so anyway, um, I've been making my own kind of games for ever since high school, uh, um, in fact, Pro Gymnast is essentially a really spruced up and, you know, more polished incarnation of a freeware game I made a long time ago, just called Gymnast, which is the same basic idea. You have a, you use mm -hmm. a two stick controller, you know, the left stick controls the arms, the right stick controls the legs, and you directly sort of manipulate the gymnast and then physics decide, you know, what happens. Um, and so that also comes from a combination of my interests. So I've done gymnastics pretty much my whole life as well. Um, both my older siblings were into gymnastics as well. So I kind of grew up into that, um, you know, jumping on trampolines and, and going to the local, you know, recreation center and participating in gymnastics uh, classes and stuff. So, cool. you know, this game is essentially pretty obvious if you know all that backstory. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Like, what was, the, I just want to know, because you mentioned that you were making games as a high school student, like 20 years ago. Uh, or yeah what was that like what kind of tools were available then and you know comparing that to now i would be really curious to know yeah so in my case um my first real introduction to programming was actually through school but not computer class it was 
you know, you'd get into one of the like uh, math classes in high school and they would say, okay, everyone you need to go buy one of those calculators where you can draw graphs and do more sophisticated things. And you could write basic programs in it, like with the programming language basic, right? Where you could make little, um, you could make little programs that showed a menu and you could choose between options and then, you know, you could do different things. So I spent a fair amount of time in class making little adventure games. Um, you know, they were just text-based games like, oh, you're in a room, you know, then you, you want to look around. Okay, you press the look around button. It says, you know, no, there's a notebook next to you or whatever. So you say, take notebook or that, those kind of games. Um, and I had a lot of fun playing, the, making those games and playing them and sharing them with my classmates and stuff. Um, and then I had a friend who was also, you know, uh, interested in this kind of stuff. And we discovered um, there's this early program called Click and Play, which I think now has evolved and changed names multiple times. And I think the company that created it has a product called Multimedia Fusion, if I remember correctly. Anyway, it was one of these, like, it was an early Windows program where you could make your own games without coding. You would just kind of, like, um, use drop-down menus to decide rules. You, you know, it'd be like, when? And then there'd be a drop-down, and you'd be like, oh, when the timer reaches zero, you know, like, do this event or, or play this sound or whatever. And so we, we were messing around with that, and we would make some very simple you know, kind of like um, parody games of whatever games we were into at the time. And that just sort of snowballed. And then I bought a book that was like how to program, you know, uh, your own games in C, uh, in DOS, you know. So it, it started by teaching you how to draw a pixel on the screen using like the VGA modes in DOS um, and worked your way up to being able to, you know, play sounds and, and, and move sprites around and things like that. Um, and so I, you know, just kind of kept doing that. Um, once I got into college, I slowed down a little bit. I it had never occurred to me that I could make games as a job. Um, so mm -hmm. I knew I liked technical things. I like creative things. And so when I was younger, I was convinced I wanted to work in film or movies or TV. Um, and so that's what I actually studied in college. I you know got a degree in film production. Um, thought I was going to be <laughs> a movie director, and um, which movies also I think are similar, right? They're they're very creative, but there's a lot of technical challenges to creating a movie as well, right? How are we going to film it? Like physically, how are we going to film it? You know, um, yeah, and, and all that. Anyway, uh, so in college, I sort of uh, didn't do much game creation until towards the end. I discovered this uh, program called Dark Basic, which had. Uh, this company had created, which was essentially again using the basic programming language, which is very user friendly, right? But they had created a little three D engine for you, so that you had you had all these simple basic commands, but you could make a three D game. You know, you could say like set camera, and then just type in coordinates, and that's where it would place the camera. And you could say like load model, and just type in the name of a file name, and then you'd have that model in your scene. Um, and that kind of got me back into uh, making games. And then from there, it basically just snowballed and I started um, getting into more and more complex things. I eventually sort of um, felt like dark, the basic language was limiting me. My game ideas were starting to get more complex and my code ability was getting better. So I switched over to C++ and made several games in different languages and different technologies. And eventually that led to me finally getting a job. Um, at Disney, oh wow! Uh, where I, I wasn't a uh, I wasn't a game programmer, um, but mm -hmm. I, I was able to kind of get my foot in the door because I was passionate about games and and you know fairly tech savvy. And so then I ended up working at Disney for like eleven years and kind of rose the ranks there from just testing to producer to designer to design director to eventually kind of one of the creative heads of the mobile team at Disney. 
So during that period, I would still make my own games occasionally, but I couldn't really do much with them because obviously I was employed at a company where um, you know, there was no option for me to sort of release my own side projects or anything. Oh, right. Um, okay. Uh, but it was great. I mean, it was an awesome opportunity yeah. and, and tons of amazing career experience. Um, there, I um, the most notable thing I made was a game called Where's My Water on mobile phones, which is the game where you sort of like you like uh, dig the dirt away to try and guide water to this alligator who wants to take a shower. It was a pretty popular oh. mobile game. Yeah, I think I know that. That was huge, wasn't it? Yeah. You've probably seen it. Uh, you know, it was uh, yeah. yeah, kind of right before everything became free on the App Store during the like 99 cents, right. you know, Fruit Ninja. Yeah. Jump. Yeah. You were, you made that? That's awesome. Yeah, I was the lead designer on that game, so oh, it wasn't, cool, wasn't, cool. wasn't just me, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get um, it. Yeah. That, that was a huge game, yeah. man. Congrats. That's a that's awesome. Thanks. I remember seeing that with uh, with Angry Birds and and all that others. Yeah, yeah, that time frame exactly. Um yeah, so before that, I had made a game called Jelly Car, uh, which was also on the an early App Store kind of successful game uh, that then did, became a Disney game, and then we made a sequel, and then we made a third one, and then the follow up to Jelly Car. We tried to learn our lessons from why Jelly Car wasn't a bigger hit than it was, and our theory was that um, it was missing a character because Jelly Car you're just this car that can get squished and stretched and has this cool physics to it, but. Um, you know, there was no emotion really to the game. Whereas other games, like you mentioned, like Angry Birds or at the time, um, Cut the Rope, we looked at and we mm. said, okay, these are physics-based games. We're good at those types of games, um, but they all have a character and a little bit more emotional attachment. So let's try and make a physics game with a character. And that's, that's where Where's My Water uh, came from. So yeah, I was at Disney for, for quite a while there and had a great op- uh, career there. I then went briefly over to Universal and had a kind of a similar role there, kind of like a... A, a lead creative for the mobile team over there fairly recently kind of uh, both as a combination of my desire and also uh universal decided to change their direction i got the, kind of the opportunity to give proper indie development a go so my first game that i'm planning on releasing commercially is this one we're talking about pro gymnast really cool that you worked at disney Emma. that's a awesome for sure so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned that you're now div- releasing Pro Gymnast, but Gymnast came before that. So how did you come up with the, with the idea for, for that game, which I guess inspired your current game that mm-hmm. you're releasing, releasing commercially? Gymnast itself, the inspiration is super clear. There was a, at this point now, old um, Windows game called Ski Stunt Simulator. And it was this really simple game. It was a side view game where you're a little skier. But the cool thing about it was that it was entirely physics-based. And the way it worked is that the mouse, wherever the mouse was on the screen, would map to the pose of the skier. So, for example, if the mouse was up high, they'd be standing tall. And if the mouse was down low, mm-hmm. they'd be crouched down. And if the mouse was to the right, they'd be leaning forward. If the mouse was to the left, they'd be leaning back. So essentially what it did is it took the position of the mouse and it mapped it to like the angle of the hips and the knees and the um, like the you know torso uh, and then you mm-hmm. would use that to sort of like really expressively like tuck up and do flips and then open up and land and make your way through these courses um and that game was is just incredible it's still still an amazing game and the feel of that game was was really special so uh, i don't i don't really remember the exact moment but at some point i basically was thinking of trying to do something similar um but with a gamepad 
And that led me pretty quickly to the idea of like, oh, I could use like the left stick for your shoulders and the right stick for your hips. And my first test, so I, I just made a quick character where you could do that, where the left stick would control the shoulder angle, the right stick would control the hip angle. And I just like quickly like attached the hands to a bar so that the gymnast wouldn't fall and they could see them on screen. And instantly I started having fun trying to get the gymnast to like swing around the bar. Um, and then that was pretty much it. <laughs> and then I kind of followed where that led. Yeah, kind of building up the setting, the base of the game, and then seeing where those base mechanics kind of lead you and the different puzzles. I'll talk a little bit about, um, I guess, like the technologies used to implement this game, because I feel like um, that's always something when you're making a physics game that's quite a big decision. I guess the physics engine also kind of implement, like, has a big factor to it mm -hmm. when you're creating a, a, like a ragdoll kind of game like you are. It's not really a ragdoll game, but it, it has a lot of the, those kind of elements in it. Sure, yeah. What, what did you end up using uh, and choosing and why? And mm -hmm. Yeah, so the original Gymnast was created using XNA, which was, uh, which was like Microsoft's kind of um, oh, yeah. uh, thing they had going for a while there where you could make your game and you could actually run it on an Xbox. Um, and that was like a C-sharp was the programming language. And then uh, that game, I used this thing called Farseer Physics, which was just a, um, a physics engine that a fellow XNA creator had had made um but it was very similar to box 2d um so yeah that's essentially what the first game was uh this one i'm using the unity game engine so uh, i wanted of course the game to be a commercial game so i've spent a lot more effort on this one on the visuals of the game so the visuals are in 3d um, but the gameplay is 2d so i'm using unity to give me those you know high quality 3D graphics. And Unity has a physics engine built in. They have two actually. They have a 2D one which uses box 2D. And then they have mm -hmm. a 3D one which which is NVIDIA Physics or however you're supposed to pronounce that. Um, <laughs> in my case actually I've um, I might just because I'm more familiar with physics than box 2D, but I've had better results using it. So actually the game although the game uh, the gameplay is 2D, I'm using the 3D physics engine and I'm just sort of constraining it to 2D. Um, uh, so that's how I'm, you know, that's what I'm actually using under the hood. Um, most of it involves a little bit of work to keep everything lined up in 2D. And then, um, they have a handful of different joint types that you can use. They have this one called the configurable joint, which is this wild mess of drop downs and options that lets you make almost any kind of joint. Um, but it's very, very intimidating at first how it works, but it is the most useful and versatile one. So my entire gymnast is basically a handful of uh, physics rigid bodies connected with this configurable joint. And most of the reason um, that the game, I think, maybe stands out a little bit in terms of how the physics look and feel uh, is mostly not because I've chosen some unique technology, but more just um, a lot of effort went into choosing and tuning the values. So the size, the mass, the... Um, forces and springs and dampers on all those joints are essentially you know um what gives the game its feel cool that you mentioned that um from what i've heard the reason that box cd is like less performant is because the nvidia graph uh physics stuff uses like the gpu so it's a lot more optimized and yeah but yeah. from what i've heard it doesn't really make that much sense to use box cd so i think you made a good choice there yeah it's kind of surprising i i mean i did i did start by going well i should use the 2d one right and and yeah. My, my many accounts, Box 2D is a really great physics engine, so I, I, I doubt that there's some fundamental flaw in it. I, I'm sure it's more 
um, the way I was implementing it and using it. But I was I was less worried about performance actually in this case because the game you know does not have a huge number of simulated objects um, right. in, in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very confined game, right? I mean, you have the gymnast, which is a, a known number of parts, and then you have the level, and that's a that's variable, but it's still in a very small scale. So, um, in my case, I was way more worried about stability because one of the main things you often run into with physics simulations is if you connect many objects together in a chain of joints, um, that that's one of the harder things for the physics system to resolve, right? Like, whoa, this object moved, but then this one wanted to move too, but those two have to be constrained to be, you know, meeting at this one hinge point or whatever. And then that ripples all the way down this chain. And um, it can be very difficult for it to resolve and stay stable because otherwise, you know, something like two two constraints can fight against mm-hmm. each other and you get like oscillations or wobble or in the worst case, it thing like explodes and, you know, the, the numbers just, just break. Um, yeah. So in my case, that was the main thing I, I wanted, right, is I wanted as realistic as possible sort of a gymnast. And my goal was to try and make all the joints have realistic strength, you know, so that if you say like, put your arms down right now, it doesn't just robotically like magically able to do that. It has some limitation on how hard it can use its shoulders to like move its arms down, right? Um, and making that stable but responsive was the trickiest thing. And I was I was struggling with it with Box 2D probably, as I said, due to inexperience. And I was able to get the feel much faster using the 3D physics. So, Yeah, that makes perfect sense, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about kind of uh, level design. I know you, for example, have a like a level editor, mm-hmm. and I know that you, from your streams that you actually you use that to actually make the levels just for your game, which makes perfect sense. Right. right? Was it the level editor kind of something that you knew you were going to use from the beginning and kind of started with, or was it something you added in later, thinking it might be something users want? Right. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a natural decision for me, um, I guess, because. I've made a handful of games like this where, I mean, I suppose in this game, I probably really could make each level like a scene in Unity or something and just lay out the parts, you know? Um, yeah. But, you know, the iteration time isn't as great of, you know, uh, undoing play mode, like moving around, clicking a bunch of options, you know, and then hitting play again. Um, and so anyway, I, I just sort of naturally was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to want a level editor, even if it's just for me. Um, and my thought process is usually, well, would this game be the kind of game where there's a lot of possibilities in the level design. And if yes, then that means that that could potentially be appealing to the players as well, which of course selfishly is valuable as well, because it means my game has sort of a more replay value. Um, not for every player, right? I could, I certainly don't expect every player to care that there's a level editor or to be motivated to use it. Um, but the fact that it's there means that the players that are into that can particularly benefit. And if the game gets some, you know, audience and there are other people making interesting levels, eventually I could create a way for everyone to share and play those levels. I mean, I don't know if you noticed in the game, I put this like overly feature complete replay system into the game. Um, I put a lot of effort in that just because I thought, well, this is the kind of game where things happen that you might want to capture and share. So I want to make that as easy as possible, even if you're not the type of person who's normally recording your screen. Like you can just go into this thing and like click a few buttons, and oh, there's an MP4 sitting on your on your desktop that you can you know cool. share to Twitter or whatever. So we'll see. I don't know if anybody will use it. I hope they will. I put a lot of effort into it, <laughs> but it helped yeah. me either way. It helped me because that's how I make most of the little gifts and things I post as I'm working on the game. So you know, yeah, it's awesome how you're kind of creating tools for yourself. Uh, 
that are also making it into the game for, for features for your users as well. That's really cool. Kind of like the level editor. It's, even if it just turns out to be mostly for me, it still is uh, valuable. It's not a tremendous amount of work to make it more, slightly more user-friendly enough to be part of the game. So why not do it? You know, um, That's kind of the line of thinking. Um, and I like that then. I like the sort of clarity or the, the beauty of, I didn't cheat. You know, I made a level editor. It shipped <laughs> in the game. And every level you play in the game, um, you could make with it. With a small exception, now that I think of it, actually, with the tutorials. Because I do have, the game is hard. I'm sure you noticed um, playing it. Yeah. But it's it's a very difficult game, and um, while that difficulty is kind of the point, or at least an important part of the game, I didn't want to sacrifice it. I didn't want to simplify the controls. Um, right. I still put a lot of effort into trying to, you know, lead players down the path of learning how to control this thing. So that hopefully it's not just a game you download and go, oh, look, it's impossible. Ha <laughs> ha. That was nice, you know. Um, but, you know, you can maybe make it to the other side of, like, uh, of, of mastering the controls to the point where you can enjoy, you know, more of the content in the game. Um, so the, the tutorials do cheat a little bit where I have some, like, custom, you know, objects that their entire job is just to, like, you know, teach you some aspect of the controls, which, which isn't valuable for the overall, you know, end users. Uh, inclusion in the level editor. Yeah. I mean, I think that what you mentioned there is really valuable of like, you know, you don't want to lose the player at the beginning. Um, you know, make sure, make them feel like it's too hard or you yeah, really have to balance it kind of and, and give them that early um, feeling of success and, and really having that good onboarding process where they can actually learn the controls and get somewhat decent at it. Yeah. Which I don't know, you know, like uh, I have to admit I'm kind of struggling with this game because, um, uh, appears like the little bit of sort of asking around and anecdotal research I've done says that the thing that appeals to the most general audience about this game is the like, Oh my God, this is so hard fail type game. Like kind <laughs> of like a co-op or something like that where, you know, it's, yeah, it's not, I know you know, most people, the appeal of it is like, wow, look at this ridiculous control scheme. Let's all laugh at how we fail at it. And right. to a certain degree, I don't, I don't mind that the game has that aspect, right? Um, um, and probably that is, you know, as I try to think about getting this game finished and launching it, I have to decide, like, how am I going to market it? Like, what's my message? What's my trailer? You know? Um, yeah. And I'm struggling with it because there's a part of me who's like, I'm just like, a, I'm an actual gymnast who, like, said I should finally, someone should finally make, like, a gymnasty-ish game. And so I made one, but not one where you just, like, press a button and they do a backflip. You know, you actually, like can do almost any trick possible because of the control scheme. But at the same time, like that, that's that aspect of it appeals to like nine people probably, <laughs> you know, and the like, wow, look at him. He landed on his head. It's one of those crazy ragdoll games, uh, you know, appeals to a lot more people. So I gotta, I'm sort of trying to, there's been a lot of times in the design of the game where I've struggled with where to, where to land on that, you know, like I've certainly could have made a version of this game where I didn't have all those tutorials, you know, and I was just like, good luck, haha, you know, have fun with it. Um, and maybe that would have been simpler and better, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing. Um, all games have this issue, you know, where you're trying to figure out like, who's this game actually for? And then, and how big of a audience is that? And what's the possible range for this game and how much effort should I spend to widen it? Yeah, I can, I can totally understand that pain there because 
the way you market it is kind of, you know, how are people going to gonna feel about it? Because if they feel like it's too hard, but you've marketed in kind of a, I guess, serious way, <laughs> then it might be perceived more negatively. Right. But then again, you do it vice versa. Um, yeah, the same thing can happen. But then again, like either's, either one has its own audience and, you know, own merits. For example, I feel like a game that's kind of rage baity is uh, can be quite popular for for streamers and YouTubers and that kind of uh, community. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of something that that really gets out emotions, if you know what I mean, from a game. Right, which is what they want, right? Because they want to entertain yeah, their audience. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had seen a little bit of that so far. I mean, the game hasn't had much visibility yet. Um, um, but a handful of YouTubers, sort of let's play type YouTubers, have picked it up. And yeah, they're they're definitely in the style of let's use this game to showcase my struggle right um and i i love that i think it's great you know I, I and i think that um um the game works very well in that way i certainly hope when it's released that all the people who want to use it to make that kind of content absolutely do um you know right now my kind of general thought is that i sort of focus on that sort of you know hey you've played co-op maybe you've played um getting over it uh you will like this game too um mm. and then probably just make like a more like a gymnast hey you're a gymnast don't you wish the game was made for you is like a cheaper simpler trailer that i just try and get in front of small pockets of like you know (laughs) gymnast fans around the world wherever they may be i don't know how to find them yet but i'm sure i'll figure it out um there's facebook groups for everything yeah yeah yeah. so (laughs) it might be sort of like a there's a main appeal and then there's like a sub uh, appeal or something i honestly find that's a great marketing strategy because yeah like you said if you sort of sp- do a little bit of a split there you say you know i'm going to market it for the i think that's the bigger audience personally in kind of the gaming space for the kind of rage baity audience like they want to get mad at the game and have these reaction videos but then yeah there's that other audience that you can find but you know you don't need to necessarily mass market it you just need to create like you said like a few gifs or something like that um and then post them in those groups where that specific audience is located that seems like a really good idea yeah i'll I'll let you know how it goes (laughs) oh please do please do (laughs) you know i'm always looking to learn about that sort of stuff are you also like uh um creating the assets yourself like the you sent that you're kind of focusing on creating more of a professional look like right is that something that you're also quite skilled at Mm, not really um yeah that's so i would say um you know design and code are my strengths but for sure um and then and then art absolutely not um i mean i'm not like you know i think i have a some artistic sense but but i'm not an art artist um so i can make simple stuff so the game is basically a combination of uh things i could acquire um and use and then i made the things that are specific to the game but luckily are pretty simple so for example the human characters, that's the biggest problem with this game, right? Um, is that I need like, I need, you know, pretty good looking humans to be the gymnast. Yeah. And I wanted to offer as much customization as possible. Um, so I'm using a system for that. Um, that's actually like a fairly not well known as far as I can tell unity thing called UMA, which I think stands for unity multipurpose avatar. And it's not made by unity. Um, it's made by mm-hmm. a community, but it's a, pretty robust avatar system with like you know um so in the game you have like a million sliders you know you can you can adjust to make the character look like you want or like most of the youtubers do make the character look like some kind of alien um (laughs) 
in my case, actually was quite hard to find just like normal human athletic clothing. Because <laughs> you go to the like asset stores, you know, where you can find clothings for this avatar system. And they're almost all fantasy uh, clothing or like, you know, military or shooter or that kind of stuff. Like, like just finding yeah. like, you know, normal <laughs> athletic <laughs> outfit was, was actually surprisingly challenging. Um, so that's how I'm doing the characters. And then, and then I've kind of done a hodgepodge where I like found a bunch of hairstyles that weren't designed for the avatar I'm using, but I sort of like, you know, brought them into blender and mucked about with them and got them to fit onto the avatar that I'm using. Um, and then there's a really great asset. I th- I'm, trying, I'm going to blank on the name of it right now, but I'm using for, I set the game in a beach location primarily mm-hmm. because a, there's the whole California muscle beach kind of thing where they re- really do have like this type of equipment set up out on the beach and people go around and swing on rings and, and bars and stuff. Um, so there's a little bit of real world, um, you know, reference there. Uh, and so I liked that. And I also liked that it. it was a rel- it's a, it's a pretty background that doesn't require a ton of assets because it's mostly the sky and the water and the sand. And then, you know, a few props here and there, a beach chair, an umbrella, uh, and, uh, you know, lifeguard stand. And so I modeled, you know, some of those things that are far in the background are kind of blurry that you can't tell they aren't that great. And I found, you know, assets I could use for beautiful ocean and skybox and, uh, you know, cool. Yeah, if you don't mind, you know, you can just send me the link to kind of the assets you would recommend with the community and then yeah, I'll link them. As happy well. to. So, it seems like that tool with the avatar creation seems really useful. Yeah. I've not heard of that as well. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm surprised there isn't more people talking about it because it's, it's, it's very robust. It's a little overwhelming at first. I still, you know, one of the challenges with using stuff other people have made is that sometimes it takes as much or more time than making yourself because you have to like figure out how they're doing things. Um, and I, yeah, my, absolutely. You know, my instinct is often to just make things myself because then I fully understand them. Yeah, I, at this section, I just want to kind of, you know, ask you to kind of reflect on the development so far to just know what are kind of the learnings that you've had, the lessons learned you would want to share with, you know, someone else trying to do what you're doing right now. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because so I've been working on this game for, uh, I think, like a almost two years which sounds really long for if you just look at the game um but it's not two years of like full-time this is all i do uh the first year or so i was at universal and and, uh, while i was at universal i was lucky in that i had the ability to work on side projects and so initially this was intended to be a side project while i was at universal and then when my sort of time at universal ended it became suddenly my first you know um commercial release as a full-time indie so it's an interesting project in that regard where it's been a long duration kind of side project that suddenly became oh i I should finish this up because now this is apparently how i'm gonna (laughs) make make a living um yeah and similarly one of the things i feel like that's been very valuable to me that i had my opportunity to work at places like disney and universal is that i got you know not exactly a business degree but maybe like Point eight of a business degree just by osmosis from being around all the decision making that takes place at a big company like that business decision making you know like like thinking totally, very much yeah. about risk and marketing and audience and you know um and those sorts of things and so uh that's been really valuable i i think if you hear me say that and then you look at the game i'm making you might say did you learn anything dude why are you making the most niche weird game ever um 
and to which I would say I agree with you <laughs> um, partially. So I'm I'm also kind of um, anxious to release this game. Well, I mean, obviously I have like a financial incentive to release it, right? But also um, yeah. because I need to start to think about my general strategy, right? And I've had a point of view that has just been a point of view, not something with real data for a while, which is that if you're like me, where you're kind of um, capable of making a game cheaply in the sense that I don't need to hire a bunch of coders and you know other members to make a certain type of game, I can make a lot of it myself and then fill in the gaps relatively inexpensively. I could then maybe choose to make fairly niche games because I can... Um, I don't need a huge audience necessarily, right? If I could, like, yeah. you know, so if I become known as, oh, Wallaber, that's the guy who makes the weird acrobatic-y physics games. I think what you mean is, like, kind of, you know, allowing you to build a brand and a community around your games and really making it something that's different to just being another developer who's chasing, yeah, like, the biggest next hit through some trend. Right. So I, I think that's definitely a viable approach. I, I agree with you. Like, um, there are... I think companies that are pulling it off, they're pulling it off in a way that's pretty profitable. So yeah, uh, Tim, thanks so much uh, for sharing all that information and uh, good luck with the release of your game. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. It was nice chatting with you. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. To make sure you don't miss another episode, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to and leave a comment or review. It really motivates me and helps me improve the show. Have a great week and be sure to tune in for next week's episode.